I was talking with one of the priests, Father Richard, right before Mass, and made a motion and said, what about that in the first reading where Aaron says, well, you know, I just took their jewelry, you know, and I just threw it in the fire, and look what came out. If you believe that one, right? It's like children telling their parents fibs, you know. Aaron is obviously horrified that he took part in the putting together of the golden calf. Hmm. Fascinating. By the way, the high priest Aaron and his cohorts, they, they suffer some for that as Exodus goes on. Have you ever read the whole book of Exodus? Tonight we only did a little passage. As you know, on weekdays, we take an Old Testament or any book and we just read it through day by day. And on some days there's a feast and maybe the gospel changes like today because it's Martha and Mary we read the gospel of Martha. But we've been reading Exodus for a week now. And it's it's great. It's a great book. Uh, it's about the, of course, the famous deliverance of the uh, Israelites from the Egyptians and from slavery. They get their freedom, and it's right around the golden calf that the people say Moses went up to the mountain, you know, to commune with God. He's going to bring down great tablets written on both sides. It says it was written by God himself, just to put the emphasis intensely on these things. While he's up there, he's away too long. So what do the people do and say, you know, let's find another God. Incredible, isn't it? So soon that they've come out of Egypt, they're already bored with their freedom. They'd like to go back to some servitude with uh, so many gods from whence they come in Egypt. Do you notice how hard it is to maintain yourself once God has freed you? That's the whole point behind the journey in the promised land. The Lord keeps offering them opportunities to trust, and, and they keep messing up. And God still goes back. You know, what happens after this? What do they cry about? They cry about they're hungry. They can't stand the sickening food. You know, And then God gives them manna. Then he gives them quails. Then Moses strikes the rock and water comes out. See, what more can he do, right? And they're still complaining. That's not supposed to be just a description for the Israelites. It's a model for anyone who reads the reading, right? Have you ever spoken to Jewish people for whom these words, you know, are just so intense? Ah, oh, Moses wrote them for me, for us. And, and they're right. These passages are meant for us. Sometimes they seem a little hard to understand. But they are, they threw aside what Moses had gone up to get. Life-giving words from God. And the people are so rotten, they can't get near the life-giving words. Moses smashes them. Then he has to go back up the mountain and get them all over again, right? And he comes back and he really tells them, right? 
those words. And the words are the, the, the Torah, the, the opening parts of the Torah, including the Ten Commandments. They're still valid. Even now, they're still valid. I'm glad we read them. But we read the best part of Exodus on Holy Saturday night, right? That's when Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, and the waters part, and the Israelites escape, and all the Egyptians drown, as it were, and then every really amazing. That's deliverance. Notice, Israel had no hand in this at all. God is their liberator. That's really what the whole point behind this book of Exodus in the Old Testament is about. God is the one who frees you. Guess what in the New Testament? God is the one who frees you. What it means. Always the source of freedom. But in the New Testament, God allows us to cooperate with this. The beauty, we enter into baptism and then our life. That takes me to the uh, gospel reading tonight from Luke chapter 10. Um, from Luke chapter 9, verse 51. There's a really important line in Luke's gospel. The, Luke writes, From that day on, Jesus began to set his sights for Jerusalem and walk to Jerusalem. Set his face like flint, going to Jerusalem. 9.51. He repeats the line ten more times till chapter 19, verse 35, or somewhere around there. Don't write it all down because I might be wrong on that. I know Luke 9.51 is right. I'm not sure where in 19... It's when he gets to Palm Sunday to Jerusalem, okay? So, those ten chapters are not Palestinian geography. They are the geography of discipleship. Once he starts down the road, various people encounter him. You know, we know somebody not only who they reveal themselves to us, but how others react to Jesus, to him. So, he meets a series of people along the way. Some were disciples or whatnot. And on the way, he stops in at Martha's house, and Mary is there. It's a beautiful scene of hospitality by Martha and Mary. Now, at the time of Jesus, and I think in the New Testament and the early centuries of Christianity, what this scene probably meant was this. Jesus keeps saying all the time is, hear my word. The person who hears my word and internalizes it, they're my disciple. So, Jesus is at the house. Martha's fretting for the food. You know what the word is in Greek, by the way, for this? Diakonia, deacon, from which we get the word deacon. One wonders if Luke isn't making a comment about the ministries of service in the early church communities. They were beautiful, they were wonderful, and yet Jesus is reminding Martha and all Marthas, it can't be taken away that the best thing is just to his, listen to my word, hear and listen to me. In the course of church his centuries, you know, they may one the active life and one the contemplative life. I'm not so sure that's really true when Jesus is saying this to Martha and Mary. They're both active, they're both contemplative, but what makes Mary special? She sits and listens and internalizes God's word. I said this to this group before, marvelous, big group, it's beautiful this year, uh, that, you know, even, even on a night when the homily is terrible, the readings are still brilliant. Well, this is case tonight, you know. <laughs> readings are brilliant. There's, there's the Exodus story in there. Heart of the golden calf, Israel's stubbornness of heart. And almost as a contrast, there is the gospel, beautiful Lord Jesus on his way to his destiny, his death in Jerusalem and in resurrection. And he stops and he's with friends. It's beautiful. 
Martha and Mary. And he's delighted with Mary's felicity. And he wants to calm Martha from her anxieties. Sisters and brothers, part of the beauty we have in Catholic Mass is that we can listen to the readings. And we can be attentive. As I said, even if the sermon afterwards is a mess, the readings are so brilliant, you just think about them. And they give you that beautiful, beautiful rest and measure that we need to be good Christians. Particularly today, everything around me is noise. Just so much noise. One of the things that could happen in the liturgy during the readings is quiet. I mentioned yesterday to the, the teenagers, like 2,800 of them at Mass down at the Hilton Hotel. It's a beautiful group of young people. Really attentive. And I said, when I worked in Rome, there used to be, um, they, there was a group of Coptic Egyptian Christians. You know who the Coptics are? They're an ancient Christian community. And, and they were coming to uh, Italy and to Rome. And uh, they didn't have any church. So John, John Paul II, St. John Paul was Pope then, and he gave them a church, okay? Gave them a church they could use for their liturgies and for their works and ministry. So um, one time I went to the church. I went to see what they do in the liturgy. French, you know they have five readings on Sunday? Boy, they listen to the word, huh? Hi. We go crazy with three. You know? They do the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature, then an epistle, and then the gospel, okay? So they're doing all these readings, but I noticed what I knew, I knew to be the gospel, that as the gospel was proclaimed out loud, sung in a very odd thing, and the language is geese in the Coptic church, that the people were weeping, were crying. So I wonder what this is all about. So at the end of Mass, I, I turned to one of the people who spoke Italian, and I said, why were the people crying at that one part of the Mass? He said, oh, that's the gospel. And these people are illiterate. The only time they hear the gospel is Sunday morning. Well, said, gee whiz, I can't remember the last time anybody cried in our churches when the gospel was read. We have throwaway missalettes. So, so easy to get a hold of the text of the gospel. It's something to think about. Gospel is holy, holy words. May God, may God make us hospitable enough to be guests of Jesus when he proclaims his word. Thank you.